and bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes up in the morning and out in the garden get your ripe one don't get a hard plant them in the spring eat them in the summer all winter without them's a culinary bummer i forgot all about the sweating and the digging every time i go out and pick me a biggin homegrown tomatoes homegrown tomatoes what a life be without homegrown tomatoes holding to the things that money can't buy and that's true well, you can go out to eat, and that's for sure But there's nothing that a homegrown tomato won't cure Put them in a salad, put them in a stew You can make your own very own tomato juice You can eat them with eggs, and eat them with gravy You can eat them with beans or navy put them on the side put them in the middle homegrown tomato on a hot cake griddle homegrown tomatoes homegrown tomatoes what a life be without homegrown tomatoes only two things that money can't buy and that's true life I lead. You can call me Johnny Tomato Seed. Cause I know what this country needs. Homegrown tomato in every yard you see. When I die, don't bury me. In a box in a cold, dark cemetery. Out in the garden would be much better. Cause I could be a pushing up a homegrown tomatoes. Homegrown tomatoes. Homegrown tomatoes. What a life be without homegrown tomatoes. Oh, now they're on. <laughs> Hi, everyone. This is Rona Roberts. We're here with Hot Water Cornbread Food Radio, Kentucky Food Radio, um, Tuesday afternoon at 2. And I know you're used to hearing the mellifluous voice of Chris Michael uh, in this chair, but um, some something having to do with food called him and co-host Weta Michael away for today. So I'm here with two fabulous guests, and we're going to get along just fine. This is WLXLLPFM Lexington, and uh, we always start hot water, um, hot water cornbread by talking about our best bite or sip of the past week. So I'll do a brief introduction of my two fabulous guests, uh, Heather Lyons, who's the director of the Living Arts and Science Center, and Sherry Maddock, the Minister of Gardening and um, founder, founding gardener at 4th Street Farm in Lexington. And these are people who are in my neighborhood at about an equal distance, just about like a block and a tenth mm-hmm. from me day every day. And I feel so lucky. So this is community radio. And actually, for me today, this is neighborhood radio. Mm-hmm. So best bite or sip of the week. Heather, do you have one? Actually, I do. That's such an interesting thought. Um, but this past weekend, I was at a, a potluck, and someone brought, and I, I don't even know what they would call it because I didn't get to meet the person who brought it, but mm-hmm. it was a thick pimento cheese mm-hmm. that was more spicy than what you might mm-hmm. typically think, but it also had black beans mm-hmm. and radish mixed <laughs> with it. And it was delicious. Was it hot? It was. It was a spice, not super hot, but a little uh, no, bit spicy. I mean, spicy. was it served warm? Oh, no, it was, no, it was, no, it was more no. like a cheese, thick uh-huh. cheese spread that um, was served with little pieces of bread and crackers. But it was delicious and just a totally different kind of take on pimento cheese. Uh-huh. You know, that was uh-huh. sort of the closest thing I could think of that <laughs> it reminded me of. Was it, what color was it? It was like a... Deep cheddar cheese yes. color. It had picked up just a little bit of the reddish color from the radish and a little bit of the darker color from the black beans. But, uh-huh. it was but mostly cheese colored. Yes. Oh, uh-huh. that sounds so good. And I was having a, a terrible pimento cheese longing yesterday. Oh. <laughs> and I was downtown and I had all these things I had to do and I never, I didn't get to satisfy it. It passed. But... <laughs> Uh, but I don't know where one goes to satisfy a terrible pimento cheese longing no. in downtown. Mm-hmm. Um, have to go home and make it, I yes. think. <laughs> How about you, Sherry Maddock? Well, I had uh, lentil soup at my house mm-hmm. um, that I made. And I make lentil soup all the time, but it's almost always different with the flavors. And 
Yesterday was our first full day at home, back in our house um, after some work. Uh, and so I was really thrilled to be in the kitchen. Mm. Made it um, with turmeric and cumin and hot ginger and mm. uh, put fresh spinach in it. And so when Jeff came downstairs, my husband, he said, this might be the best lentil soup you've ever made. And I said, I think it was made with such love because I was back in my kitchen. Uh-huh. Was it vegan? It was. It was vegan. So yes. no, you didn't use chicken I used, broth or I no. used vegetable broth uh-huh. and garlic, ginger, and it was vegan. Yeah, it was mm. yummy and and cilantro. Mm-hmm. Mm. Of course, that makes it really wonderful. Let's see. Mine was. Um, I'm afraid I may have already used this one other time, but it's it's my new fixation. So I've never liked beer, and I haven't had anything that I really like to drink at West Sixth, where I tend to go three or four times a week uh, to do this and that and the other. But now I've discovered kombucha, um, which I was told has 0.02% alcohol. I mean, children can drink it. There's, it's, not, it's not an alcoholic drink, but it's fizzy. And mm. it's, have, have either of you tasted it? No. Um, I've been kind of afraid of it because it's made with tea and sugar. And neither of those things are things that well, said you want you don't want tea late in the afternoon or whatever. Turns out, I don't know, something happens to all of that. It gets brewed and, <laughs> and this light fizzy drink sort of citrusy uh, flavor materializes. So uh, I think about that too when I'm driving around in Lexington. It's like I wonder if I can run over there and have a three dollar glass of kombucha. <laughs> it, it, go it, ahead. Does it count as? Is it fermented? Does it is fermented, so and it's supposed thing. to be good for the body. I don't know. Do we know? I'm, I don't know. <laughs> um, and it's made, this this kombucha is made in Springfield, I think. It's not made at West Six. They're bringing oh. it in. So I'm not sure they can make it. I'm not, I don't really know the rules. Anyway, yum. Mm-hmm. Good things, good things to taste. Well, so we, I have invited these guests because they are involved together in a process. Separately, they're fascinating, wonderful, and transformational leaders in the community. And then together, they're they're involved in this intriguing new thing, so new that Sherry was giving me some language before we came in, renaturing of urban spaces, for example, Mm -hmm. which is new, completely new language to me. But I have been around Sherry enough to know that there's been a kind of an evolution in her thinking about what we what we plant um, in urban spaces in order to have a, a thriving ecology, in order to be able to grow food. It may not be food, but we what we need to plant. And I, I've been around Heather enough to know that in a joint project that our neighborhood association has been working on, there's going to be an example of this new kind of planting um, at the Living Arts and Science Center as part of their, in this case, their 24-hour-a-day, 365-day-a-year, 366-days-a-year teaching mission. Mm -hmm. So um, let's start. Sherry, let me start with you um, and ask you. First, I will just say I probably have known you maybe getting close to 10 years now. Um, And in that time, I've seen a... a, um, You've become. You've gone from saying I don't know much about gardening to being really an expert in gardening and permaculture and the things that come after permaculture, which I guess may be the renaturing of the urban landscape uh, and reconciliation ecology. So I have this perspective on on the things that you've been learning. But um, would you mind sketching for us a little bit of your of what you see as that journey that you've made? Uh, sure. Um, I, it's been a long journey from potted herbs that were in my window when I was a graduate student uh, to now an urban farm, uh, every inch of a tenth of an acre um, planted. Um, and so I had this passion in me before I even knew what to do. And then I just began to educate myself around gardening, my own desire to see plants grow and flourish. And then um, I had the privilege and opportunity to become a master gardener through Cooperative Extension. Um, And out out of that, um, I recognized the power and capacity for gardens to bring people together, um, especially in an urban environment where lots of things intersect, um, people uh, of all walks of life. And so gardening um, became so much more to me than growing fresh food, growing things in season, 
to eat well and then to share with my neighbors. Um, so as I my experienced um, as my experience expanded and my knowledge deepened, um, I wanted it more than just my backyard. Um, so we together, of course, Rona and Living Arts and Science Center has been a part of this. Um, and seed leaf. A community garden in the neighborhood was where I really began to test the waters with what does it mean to garden with a, a diverse group of people and then an urban orchard. Rona and I hatched that on her front porch swing <laughs> one afternoon because there was unused, unused space at 4th and Elm intersection and we thought let's put in fruit trees uh, and then of course the urban farm really was the beneficiary of all this different experience. Um, and knowledge, and so I went from being a, a just a intense let's grow vegetables as much food as we can to wanting to understand flowers and perennials um, and perennial food. Uh, that's and, where I am now. And it is so um, the garden. Your your gardening space has always been beautiful because you are you work so hard at it, and you have such a great sense, a good eye and sense of beauty. Um, and and yet it's to me it's gone to another level in in the last two years where you, there's just so many more flowers, um, and the flowers all have purposes. They're not just beautiful, um, if as if beauty weren't weren't purpose enough. Um, so let me let's let's ask Heather. Let's bring Heather in and then come back and talk about um, Doug Tallamy and how. This person who doesn't live in Lexington has, has sort of is influencing our uh, our lives and our our streetscape and I, probably our health too. Mm-hmm. So Heather, I I know this about you. You are a talented videographer mm-hmm. who then ended up um, running a major arts institution in Lexington, and you've just guided it through a whopping transformative. Um, expansion and renovation that lifts my heart every time I even think about it, but especially when I walk to the other end of my street and see it. So Living Arts and Science Center is located at the intersection of um, North Martin Luther King and 4th and Gamsey, Mm -hmm. um, my street. So um, tell, if you will, tell a little bit about your uh, your journey, your your background that's led you to be where you are now, and and come around to this this planting that we're going to talk about. <laughs> okay. Um, well, if you don't mind, if I start quite a ways back, um, Good. because this does. Uh, I w- I was a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker, a documentary filmmaker for a number of years, and um, when I moved back to Lexington, I wanted to be able to teach children. And at that time, I really didn't know. I wasn't connected to the arts world in Lexington or any organizations of any sort. And I sent out cold letters saying, hi, I'm a filmmaker and I've moved back to my hometown and I'd like to teach children. And the then director of the Living Arts and Science Center, Marty Hinton, was the only person who responded to my letters. And so that really began an opportunity for me um, to work in the Martin Luther King neighborhood um, with the in Johnson Elementary School as an artist in resident for two years and with a number of other um, social service agencies. So I, I got involved with the Living Arts and Science Center a very long time ago and went away and came back and went away and kept working on a different kinds of community projects. So the, the center has always had a lot of community interest in the work that they did. Um, Marty oh. had started a native Kentucky planting program at oh, the center yes. on our grounds. Yes. And so all of the trees that were planted in her time there were native Kentucky species. And so that was something that they had been interested in um, as part of an art and science center. Those plantings were used um, for environmental education programs as well as actually for art programs. Um, So when I started there, I really wanted to further that. Um, We teach urban ecology programs in schools, and um, we started looking at knowing we were going to need additional space. And I think that was right at the time you all were forming the Urban Orchard Project, and we wanted to be part of that and sort of stuck our foot in the water a little (laughs) bit. But 
Uh, yeah. Well, you stuck your your persimmon trees in yeah. the ground. Right. <laughs> right. I think we've we managed to come through with them in they're, spite of and all And they're the, flourishing, yeah. but uh, <clears throat> it then became clear that we're just going to be ripping up the grounds when mm-hmm. we start doing this expansion. So, um, But as part of the expansion, we really wanted to focus as much on our one and a half acres um, as we were on the building itself mm-hmm. and on the additional program space. Mm-hmm. So um, the plans for that were to reestablish that native Kentucky plantings, but also be able to incorporate edible plantings as part of that program. Mm-hmm. And they will be used for a wide variety of our classes, our field trip programs coming in for schools, and it will be there year round a day in and day out for the community to come. So it'll be a mini arboretum <laughs> in our downtown mm-hmm. uh, neighborhood. Which is really just awesome. And to to live near it and watch it as it's starting to unfold is, is simply beautiful. Let's take a little break um, and hear a little music and um, come back in just a minute. And we'll go more deeply into what the new plantings are going to involve. Debiste haberle lanzado mil pelotas para enseñarle cómo pegarle a la pelota y hacer una carrera. Infinidad de tardes enseñándole cómo pegarle justamente a la canasta. Infinidad de horas enseñándole cómo pegarle al balón de fútbol para meter un gol. Pero ¿cuánto tiempo te has pasado enseñándole a lo que no le debe pegar? Enseñarle a los niños que toda la violencia en contra de las mujeres es mala es una de las cosas más importantes que el hombre puede hacer. Aprende cómo empezar la conversación en teacherly.org, un mensaje de Futures Without Violence y el Ad Council. Welcome back to Hot Water Cornbread, Kentucky Food Radio. I'm your host today, Rona Roberts. I have superb engineering help here from Ali Mesa. She is being so kind to help. And, and actually, she's not helping. She's doing the board. So um, thank you so much, Ali, for being with us. Um, we are. I'm here with wonderful guests, Sherry Maddock of the 4th Street Farm and Heather Lyons of the Living Arts and Science Center, <clears throat> who are... Uh, just about to launch a project that we have been thinking about together for six months, maybe. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it builds on, as we were saying before the break, it builds on um, joint work that's already that has already gone on, little positive beginnings. Um, 
I wanted to start by asking Sherry to talk about this uh, important speech that she went to in Lexington last year, I think. And so important. I didn't even go, but it sort of reverberates in my life and in my understanding, too, just, you know, at a remove. So please tell us about this, Sherry, this event. This was an event hosted by University of Kentucky Urban Forestry and Cooperative <coughs> Extension. It was held at the Cooperative Extension office. And I went along with my friend, Sean Gladding, who's a neighbor nearby, who's a bird lover. And I would have never imagined I would be brought to tears by an entomologist. <laughs> so Doug Tallamy um, is a professor in Delaware and he is a very charismatic, um, compelling, um, spokesperson for wildlife and we've decimated so much of our wildlife reserves in this nation that that it's at a crisis point this was just recently last week written up by the new york times and so he he spoke to me new ground in my heart and imagination because i'm a vegetable gardener about having um you know enclaves or hubs foraging hubs that are biodiverse um, that are based on planting natives. And what he said, and I'd never thought of this, even though I marvel at birds and I watch the pollinators in my own garden, he said, you know, these, these insects and birds have evolved, you know, hundreds, thousands of years with these leaves, plants, and food sources. And when we plant foreign things from China, they have nothing to eat. Mm -hmm. um, and so he said in order to feed their baby, in order to keep this cycle going that we all benefit from and really can't not only not thrive, we really can't eat <laughs> without our pollinators and our birds and their, depend their dependency, they have to have access to these landscapes. And he calls them living landscapes, um, which is so evocative, mm -hmm. um, full of uh, native, flowering, um, sustainable, perennial plants. So I think one of the things that caught my attention is that one of our favorite beloved Lexington trees is not doing its part in the living landscape. <clears throat> is this right? The ginkgo, um, which we have in many, many places, including a strip of trees right outside Cherry's house on Elm, <laughs> on Elm Tree Lane. There are ginkgos. Um and that is, it's because of what you just said, right? They're, they actually came from China, maybe in Henry Clay's time, so 150 to 175 years ago, uh, became very popular trees. And they are sort of impervious to pollution and other things, so they've been become a more popular street tree. But... Nothing. So what? No, no, no caterpillars, huh? No. <laughs> nothing, nothing for little baby birds to eat and therefore thrive on. That's right. Oh, so we're going to have to give up our ginkgos in honor of something else. I'm sure it will be just as wonderful. But so on the when when he talks about the living landscapes, um, Doug Tallamy, Sherry, was he talking about fairly small spaces, uh, or are you talking about? Mm, transforming all of the land what was the scale well it was it was, it was very practical because he recognized suburban development has happened it's not going away but we have McMansion sitting on acreage and it's all lawn and lawn does nothing I thought I didn't like lawn until I heard him and I really don't like lawn it does nothing and he said if we are even just around our foundations of our house if we're more thoughtful about what we plant in just landscaping you don't have to be an expert um, it really can begin to be a habitat a hosting space for um, helping support and perpetuate the native things that were here before we were. Um, so yeah, he, he, but what he did say is that we have, we have no way to regain our lost wilderness, uh, but what we can do is utilize small spaces far more creatively. And of course, even in cities, there's enormous potential. Um, there's the possibility of doing all kinds of creative things in very small spaces that make a place beautiful and really transform um, it for all of life. So, so Heather Lyons, how did this speak to you when you heard Sherry describe this this set of possibilities about living landscapes? Well, I think it's it exactly corresponds with what we want to do at the center, and, and exactly for those reasons and and for others as well. Um, you know, we we could see this was a small little demonstration for a while. There had been a, a small man-made pond on our grounds, mm -hmm. and it went through many. Can reconfigurations and but the last little um, uh, way it was designed there was a little waterfall and stream and we had a lot of problems with it so, so it would be off and on frequently it wouldn't always run but we would 
uh, could tell. I mean, all of the staff would find that if it had been off for some period of time and you turned that water back on, it would be five minutes before you heard songbirds outside our windows. Mm. You know, it didn't take any time at all just for that water to be running. And the same way with the plantings, you know, you put up a bird feeder and birds would be there. So with all of these plantings that we're talking about, you know, not the the trees, the bushes, the grasses, butterfly gardens, Mm -hmm. uh, rain gardens, Mm -hmm. you know, with all of those native plants, it will be uh, speaking to and bringing in wildlife into our little downtown neighborhood um, area. So it's, and then for students to be able to, children, families to be able to experience that when within their own neighborhood, they might not have that environment, but we're within walking distance of so many people that, you know, that, that will be a a really lovely thing, I think. And when when we worked together recently on a, a grant to try to get some, at which we succeeded, yes, <laughs> at getting thank you some um, some help to to make this living landscape this crucial one. Um, one of the questions that the granting agency asked this is uh, Lexington Fayette Urban County Government, and one before they would allow us to make the proposal, they wanted to be assured that the teaching space was going to be open to everyone, not gated, not guarded, and open all the time. Um, And I was, I have to say, I was a little surprised that you said, yes, 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 that's exactly what we want. But can you talk about that a little bit as part of the mission of the Living Arts and Science Center? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, the center, we're in our 47th year, um, they had on, the organization had only existed two years before this lovely home and one and a half uh, acres was um, loaned to the organization to use. Mm. That was in 1971. And this is a historic. It is. It's now on the National Register. Uh Yes, the Kincaid family, and that's K-I-N-K-E-A-D, the original builder of the home, George Kincaid. Um, In 1847, it stayed in his family all the way up until 1971 when they uh, let the organization start using, Hmm. and then they donated it outright to the organization in 1981. So this tremendous gift Hmm. and, and his own involvement in that neighborhood, he was an abolitionist and built housing for freed slaves when they moved into um, urban areas in, into Lexington, and there was nowhere for them to live. And we called that, uh, we, we, that's Kincaid Town, Kincaid right? Town, yes. that's right. And uh, at one time, there were 300 homes that he had built. Mm-hmm. Um, descendants of his built houses on Campsie Street. Mm-hmm. So he and that, the, George Kincaid and that Kincaid family had a tremendous impact on what is now the east end of Lexington. They gave this tremendous gift to this organization, even, you know, a new organization. Mm-hmm. It was an incredible act of faith, I think, and very progressive vision for yes. that family. Yes. And I think the organization has always felt very close to the neighborhood, even though technically by the city's uh, drawings were not in the Martin Luther King neighborhood, which is very odd, but we've always felt that that is our neighborhood and um, you're the heart of our neighborhood yeah. <laughs> the way the way the neighborhood association yeah. you are really literally in the center north south east and west but it's um, funny. you know it and it's always they've never uh, wanted to put up fences or mm-hmm. to have any restrictions at all on that and you know we've uh, people have expressed surprise at that but uh, i certainly in my time there have never considered ever wanting to do anything that would keep people away. It was always about, you know, letting our space be used as a a public park um, within, not just for the neighborhood, but the entire community or anybody who wants to come in. So um, we love that. We love, you know, I used to see neighbors picnicking by our little stream, our little Mm man-made stream. I loved that. Well, and eating in your outdoor classroom. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) People had picnics in there, and and clusters of people. I mean, people would would make plans and meet in the the former outdoor classroom. Right. Which, which, I'm sorry. Well, it's been replaced by this glorious new building. (laughs) But even with adding that big building, 
you know, it's most of it's glass, mm -hmm. and we really wanted that for people who were inside to be able to still feel like they were in the neighborhood, mm -hmm. and for people outside to see in and feel like it was someplace they could come in and check it out and explore it. And, and then even with that big building, the way the grounds have been configured, we have as much, uh, actually a little more green space than we did in the previous reconfiguration because there was so much asphalt driveway mm. and that has all been removed. It's just like magic, really. So, yeah, so I'm very excited about getting the grounds back, you know, uh, now that the buildings are getting finished up, that we'll have those grounds again and be able to start adding in the gardens and a water feature, mm. um, you know, to have that little waterfall and stream again and, and just to have room for people to hang out and look in the gardens and walk through them and sit there and enjoy them, hopefully. Can't wait. Right now there's some really big dirt piles. Yes. <laughs> when we come back in a moment, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit more about um, the kitchen and about gardening and gardening opportunities and and um, how you see that, both of you, how you see that's going to, to unfold. Um, this is Rona Roberts. I'm here on Hot Water Cornbread with Sherry Maddock and Heather Lyons. We'll be back in a moment. Hi, this is Sue Wiley, Lexington broadcaster for over 45 years, and you and I are listening to WLXL 95.7. Great listening over here. Thanks for tuning in to Lexington Community Radio. gardening, dreaming of parsley, sage, rosemary, <laughs> and thyme. I'm Rona Roberts, your host at Hot Water Cornbread Kentucky Food Radio this week, and I'm here with guests Sherry Maddock of the 4th Street Farm and Urban Oasis in downtown Lexington, and one short block away, the fabulous Living Arts and Science Center, which has had a lot of turmoil in its topsoil um, <laughs> for just uh, about 18 months or so, but all of that is looking like it's um, uh, proceeding in a really good direction. So, Heather, um, oh, and let me just say, we're on WLXL LPFM in Lexington, where we're happy to be. Yes, we are. <laughs> we're very grateful for this for this station. <clears throat> um, 
Heather, the new building includes a teaching kitchen, and I know that you've talked about uh, growing edible things Mm -hmm. um, in your own space and also connecting to the um, London Feral Community Garden, which is maybe a block away um, and is a, you know, incredible space itself. So could you talk a little bit about those things and how they, how you see them as part of the, uh, uh, your vision for the Living Arts and Science Center? Okay. Um, well, for quite a few years, the the Living Arts and Science Center has tried to offer some off, some options for children learning about food and um, using that food in different kinds of cooking as well as using plants for natural dyes and in other kinds of of ways but um, we didn't have a kitchen they could work out of Um, often it was with a hot plate or um, trying to bring them into our tiny little kitchen and having them take turns and so it hasn't it's been a not a smooth uh, offering but with the the new teaching kitchen, we will be able to now have classes where um, students can learn healthy cooking. They can go out into the gardens that we'll be planting on our grounds and then also working with the London Farrell um, Community Garden, um, the Urban Orchard in the neighborhood to harvest things, bring them in, be able to learn how to um, share that with their families. And then we'll also be doing community kinds of workshops where um, we can help folks, if they're growing gardens, learn how to preserve and put up that food so that they can benefit it, benefit from it um, throughout the year rather than just during the growing season. Um, we're going to be working with Chef Mikey Bullock from the neighborhood. He's going to be teaching some classes this year that's going to get that kicked off. And then we have a couple of other teachers as well who've already been working with us, um, teaching kids for the past couple of summers about drying and dehydrating food, mm-hmm. um, turning vegetables into snack foods, which <laughs> has been really fun. Um, so we're when uh, we're able to get into full gear with that kitchen, um, we'll have vegetable gardens on the grounds and herb gardens, and then, of course, rain gardens and butterfly gardens and a sensory garden. Um, but we really want um, children and adults um, to learn how to plant the food, to nurture it, to harvest it, and then to cook with it in the kitchens. And we really want... Um, we'll be putting together, once we can get in there, sort of guest, guest chefs and community cooks um, to come in and offer some of those programs. So I'm very excited. And Rona, you, of course, are at the top of our list of <laughs> wanting to be able to come in. I might be your closest cook no, or one of them. No, <laughs> I um, might be handy. And now I owe you one if you, you know, suddenly in the morning you go, oh, we need something at two today. <laughs> Right. I, I think I'm, yeah, I, I'm in your debt. No. Um, so, Sherry, this may not even be fair because I actually have inside information that the two of you are about to have the first really concrete <laughs> meeting uh-huh. about the planting, the new uh, planting project, uh, right after this. So, but I wonder when you are thinking about living plantings. Um, and thinking about the Living Arts and Science Center corner, and I know you think a lot about intersections, and you may feel free to talk about other <laughs> ones if you want. Um, do you have in your mind already a vision of some of the plants that will be there, some of the bushes, shrubs, uh, perennials, um, that will fit these categories that, that Doug Tallamy had in mind and also meet the other criteria um, that for teaching that the Living Arts and Science Center uh, wants to do. Have, have you gotten that far? It's okay if not. <laughs> well, I, I, I don't have a, a list off the top of my head because it's such a new growth edge for me, mm-hmm. learning and understanding um, what we did do last summer at the 4th and Elm intersection where we established part of an urban orchard um, six or seven years ago. Now, um, I, I learned that trees should not be surrounded by grass. That's not, they're, that they're not happy that way. And then we mulched it. And then I thought, these trees need friends. And so we planted <laughs> 50 perennials under our nine or so tart cherry trees. And they were beautiful. And I mean, these were things like echinacea and Russian sage and um, Shasta daisies. And I can't, I can't remember. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm teaching myself and I'm also relying on 
partnerships with the experts across the board, you know, to, to um, those who know much more about putting those things together in a beautiful landscape. Um, but my hope is because of the reactions we've had for our space that's so beautiful and stops cars and people uh, in their tracks is that um, these beautiful living landscapes um, will transform intersections in the way neighbors maybe talk to each other and the way cars move through the intersections. Maybe they are slower mm -hmm. um, and pedestrians can cross more safely and people will linger. Um, so I think it's very holistic in its impact, these, these landscapes. Yes. Um, and I think in, in our neighborhood, too, there's a great deal of pedestrian traffic, mm -hmm. and that just lends itself to stopping off at these beautiful corners and, you know, taking time, which you don't when you're in a highly vehicle, uh, you right. know, when it's only vehicles moving through a neighborhood, you don't get that. So right, I think right. in, in our neighborhood, that's a really wonderful thing. Well, so now I may be jumping ahead and jumping in the wrong direction, but is it? Do I have I understood in the past that there might be, there might be several of these these living landscapes, and they might be distributed a little bit. I mean, we have, for example, um, Sonia Blades, a former neighbor, um, created a very small and lovely garden at the entrance to Duncan Park, which is one block north of the Living Arts and Science Center, um, and I'm sure could use. Um, to be included in a teaching learning you know situation but are we are we thinking of multiple spaces and do we need multiple spaces um, instead of just one to, to make the magic happen we, we do need multiple spaces because this is what Doug Tallamy laid out is we're never going to regain significant acreage we need to have these hubs these linked um, biodiverse spaces uh, and so as we dreamed along 4th Street imagining um, the friends we have along 4th like the Living Arts and Science Center and then LTMS one block down. This is Lexington Traditional so, Middle School. Yes. The, or Magnet School. I don't know what the M is. It's um, Magnet actually. Ma magnet School? I, yeah. I think Traditional Magnet. Yeah. yeah. The, mm -hmm. Long ago Lexington Junior I think right. was there uh -huh. but yeah. Go ahead. Um, and, the, and these are just assets as a part of the residential um, landscape of East 4th Street and also anticipating the Legacy Trail coming through. And so Heather and I have just talked briefly about the, um, the power and the, the goodness of art, of public art. And of course, that's one thing they do so well and focus on at Living Arts and Science Center. So how do we as um, organizations and residents in the neighborhood um, add to the basics of the trail, this walking, biking legacy trail that will ter terminate in the east end at Isaac Murphy Memorial Art Garden. How do we have color and beauty? How do we paint on the streets? How do we add, you know, art pieces? And then how do we have plantings um, all along? And this does run, it runs with what, you know, there's potential with the legacy trail, but also there's a newly formed um, tree canopy, if I can just tell Yes, please do it, talk about the tree it, canopy. Commission? Commission? It's or? A, it's a board a or board. no it's not we're not a board yet and it's not a commission um a group it's a group. group a group that was formed um, by the vice mayor mm -hmm. and chaired by our um third district council member uh, jake gibbs and so that's a wonderful group of people that i was invited to be on and feel really privileged um maybe 20 or 30 and they have uk forestry people um there are um you know um LFUCG folks, there are arborists from the community. It's a wonderful collection of people. And what we're faced with as a city is our tree canopy is at 25%. We, I think our aim is 40%. Mm -hmm. um, and this has huge impact, economic, environmental, um, um, with health and wellness. Mm -hmm. In every direction, our tree canopy influences our lives as citizens and our city. So the aim is over these next years is to hurry get a lot of trees in and what type of trees we plant really matter too. Mm -hmm. So I think in small ways, like what the Living Arts and, Arts and Science Center will do is add to that canopy, what we can do on 4th and Elm and maybe at 4th um, and North Lime. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, it's lawn. Mm -hmm. what, um, Heather, what have been the most successful like topics and themes related to um, gardening and planting that you, that you all have been able to do so far and if you just, I mean just flashing back because I know there have been some I see I see groups of people coming down to be in the Living Arts and Science Center in the I mean in the uh, London Feral Community Garden in the summer and I don't know so what what do you already think works really well that you'll have to build on in terms of classes um 
within what we've done before. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. I didn't. No. Um, we, you know, I, we will, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess my challenge right now, I'm, I'm thinking more about that, is that we don't have a full-time gardener. Mm. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it always has been sort of a, we would have certain teachers who might have a particular mm-hmm. interest and would plant certain things that they knew they would, were going to be using in their gardens. <laughs> and then as the London Feral Garden started growing more, we would be invited to bring our, our students over there, um, which is wonderful. Now we're within walking distance of eight community gardens and, of course, the urban farm. And so and then with uh, Mikey Bullock, who is starting a fresh grocery um, Mm -hmm. and we're going to have the opportunity now to take to let students work on our own property and in gardens that we'll plant there but also to go out across the neighborhood more and to visit all of these other sites that have now um, really started prospering in the time that we've not had our yard. (laughs) Uh, Are these um, all seed leaf uh, supported gardens or are there more than than seed leaf? The the ones that I'm aware of are seed Mm -hmm. leaf. Yeah. The seed leaf has made such an amazing impact. Yes, yeah. we we must all we, we should probably on hot water cornbread we should probably thank a few entities every week, and right. one would be Seed Leaf right. uh, for just successfully moving Lexington into the world of of good community gardening practices. And right now they have their master community gardening gardener training mm-hmm. is going on, and and they consistently um, try to get us to behave better, grow our own food, recycle, cook for ourselves, share. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and they could use any any and all forms of support and have a dedicated volunteer base mm-hmm. and can always use more. Right. So, yeah. And then to the Fifth Street Apiary, you know, is another oh, yes. neat walk in within walking distance for yeah. downtown folks and for kids at our, uh, at the Living Arts and Science Center. I keep saying kids. It is for children and adults and families, and certainly the programming, there are always offerings for all age groups. So um, a lot of the teen and adult programs take place in evenings Mm -hmm. and then on Saturdays and then others through uh, younger students um, throughout the summer and no school days. That's awesome for parents to have to be able to have children go to the Living Arts and Science Center on no school days. Sherry, you were well. I was thinking as Heather was sharing about you know they don't have a gardener lined up and about how landscapes are managed and maintained. I earned I learned something interesting this week as I've done research for this intersection repair and transformation from Claude Stevens, who's at Bernheim. Hmm. Had the pleasure of meeting with him, and he said there is now um, an accompaniment to lead certification under the same umbrella, and it's the certification <laughs> quite rigorous of landscapes, and they're called Sustainable Sites. So Sustainable Sites, S-I-T-E-S dot org, um, they've just launched it. I mean, it is brand new, and they have, you know, the requirements that you can meet, and then you can be certified like a lead Mm. building would be certified. And I think that's a wonderful direction for us in the future because planting and maintaining something can seem so daunting, you just don't do it. Mm. Um, And so I I think Mm -hmm. it's exciting we think like that. And Mm -hmm. let's back up for one second and just say what LEAD is. And I realize I don't know what it stands for, but but we can say that it's a system of um, recognizing environmentally friendly construction. And there's levels from straight lead to platinum, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And we have a few lead certified buildings in our neighborhood, including the wonderful Lyric Theater. Mm -hmm. um, Our building is actually, we decided not to go for the certification because it's extremely expensive. Yes, it is. And it also requires an enormous amount of time sort of constantly justifying that. But it was built to be silver certifiable at the silver uh, level good. so yeah so sustainable sites we'll be keeping our our ears open for that um oh well i think we're we're drawing to a close we have i'm i'm rona roberts i'm um host of hot water cornbread kentucky food radio weekly here tuesdays at two on wlxl lpfm in lexington um I had another 
I had one more question, but I've now forgotten what it was. <laughs> um, but it, it, I was, I really wanted to know just a little bit more about the intersection um, project, Sherry. If you can say a little bit more about that, um, since it includes a Living Arts and Science Center, but is not limited to it. Thank you. Yes, that's right. So as we dreamed and thought possibilities at intersections, major city intersections along Fourth Street, it would include Lime and Fourth, the location of the Living Arts and Science Center at North MLK and then Fourth and Elm um, because the idea that bike cyclists, walkers, and cars will move along this corridor. Um, I And, and in, in my imagination, I tend to focus a lot on gardening, but I began to, to to understand that our stories need to be told. And I'm an outsider loving a neighborhood where I've lived 12 years and realized there's so many rich stories. And so what I'm hoping is these landscapes will tell our stories through art. So the story I'm really excited about, understanding more of it thanks to Miss Yvonne Giles, is that the limestone corridor was the under part of the Underground Railroad. Hmm. So people fled to freedom up, up that street heading to Maysville. It's really powerful and we don't have it marked anywhere. Oh, so we can look forward to that. Um, and the interse- the idea of intersection repair um, comes from where? Who's, has, do we have pioneers? Well, do we have, will we be the first place in Lexington to try it? I, I don't know about that. It, it, I'm thankful to you because it came to me through you, oh, through Portland, Oregon. <laughs> oh, it came from Portland, Oregon, yes. You, you sent me a piece, as you always do, and inspire my imagination. In Oregon, um, they are called City Repair. Hmm. They've done amazing stuff. They've painted the intersections. They bring neighbors together. They do really cool shared public spaces. So that's where that our inspiration okay. came from. Okay. Well, I had it mixed up in my head with Carrot City. <laughs> I thought uh, Carrot City was doing intersection repairs. Mm-hmm. And Carrot City seems like what we're trying to turn into. That's right. <laughs> we're trying to get so many places planted with things to eat and things that help um, sustain the life, all the many kinds of life forms that we need to keep being able to eat from our incredibly rich land that we have in central Kentucky. Well, I want to say thank you to Sherry Maddock of the Fourth Street Farm and to Heather Lyons of the Living Arts thank and Science you. Center for being here to talk about ways that we are, um, if, if there is a growing edge in Lexington, this is it. We're on the growing edge right at the Living Arts and Science Center corner and then the two uh, on either side of it, the intersections that are on either side um, along 4th Street. So thank you for being here. Thank and you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to just say one more thing about an upcoming event, and then we're going to be done for the day. And thanks again to Allie for helping with the with this board. Um, the one Kentucky food event that I want to uh, be sure people know about, we've talked about before, is this weekend. It is the organization. It is the um, Organic Association of Kentucky's annual conference in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. And as of this morning, they were still saying yes, they would take walk-ins, and they were being, I think, overwhelmed <laughs> with people who want to come. They'd be running for two days. They'll be running six sessions at a time on organic growing, with, led by really skilled uh, local and national leaders. Um, and they've had an infusion. We've, as we've mentioned before, they've had an infusion of support from Christy Brown recently, who wants the organic um, way of growing to become the Kentucky way. And nothing could be closer to what we've just been talking about um, in our neighborhood and on um, and in the very heart of Lexington. So with that, I'm Rona Roberts. I'm signing off today and um, thanking again Sherry Maddock and Heather Lyons for being here.